You can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Colossians while those are going out. Colossians chapter 4. So for you who are new with us, we're just going verse by verse, passage by passage. We've been coming through this letter to the Colossians for a little while. Where we land today in God's sovereignty is in chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 2 through 4. Colossians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can look at it with me. I'm going to read verse 2. Verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account, on account of which I'm in prison. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Let's pray as we meditate on these words from God for a moment. Father, please help us as we approach your holy word. God, you have spoken to us through your scripture. You have blessed us, God, with, with so much mercy and grace, God, that you have given us your word. So please, God, help us now deal with our hearts, just like we sang a moment ago. Speak to us, O Lord, through your word. Give us hearts, God, that lean in right now. God, come against our distractions. God, come against our bad attitudes coming into the world. Come against all of those things in our hearts, God. Let us come with a humility before you to do, God, whatever it is you command us to do. To be whatever it is you command us to be. God, help us to come to your word that, with hearts that say, wherever, O oh Lord, you send us, we'll go. and Whatever you command us, we'll do. Give us hearts like that, God, as we come to your word. Humble us before you, please. God, I pray that you would bring help to every soul listening to your word and meditating over it right now. Give help to every soul. Help. Help from heaven, Lord. To walk these things out. Help, Lord, to see you in it. Help us, God. Lord, you said that our help comes from you and you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. So we call upon you, Lord. Our creator, maker of heaven and earth, we call upon you, Lord. Come, as you say in your word, God, and help us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me mention to you as we roll into these verses, just some uh, desires of mine that would be accomplished during this time. So I've got several desires that I want to see uh, happen among us results that I want to see happen among us as we meditate on these words together. Here's just a few of them. And I want to encourage you to think about this because I want you to be praying little little prayers going up to God the whole time I'm preaching today that these things would come to pass. Uh, number one, an increased devotion and a, a, a heat in personal prayers to God among the members of Grace Community Church. I want to see us go after that increase in our personal 
prayers to God. Uh, secondly, an increased seriousness and love for the corporate prayers for corporate prayer. When we as a church come before God on Sundays or in your uh, midweek prayer meetings and Bible studies, those sort of things. Three, I want to see us go after uh, prayer just uh, volcanically uh, bursting out everywhere from this church. I think a uh, First uh, Timothy 2, 8, where it says, I desire that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Just this outburst of prayer to God, a people that want to go to God in prayer, that long for it. Also, prayer rightly, rightly viewed and engaged in as a wartime uh, kingdom of Christ advancer. Uh, not like the world thinks about prayer, which is just this, you know, relax, uh, relaxation time of meditation or something like that. But this kingdom advancing prayer. I want us to think about prayer scripturally, biblically like that. Also, I pray that this call to prayer, as we see in the scripture, would be so foreign to anybody here who would come under the title of a false convert. By false convert, I mean there's people that 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 think that, that we know we all know that this is true that believe that they are in Christ and they really are not. And I pray that these things would sound so foreign to them that it would drive them to consider their own souls and eventually lead them to the foot of the cross where they bow down before Jesus and put their hope in him. Also, that these things would be so desirable this idea that wretched men, wretched people like us can actually commune with the God of glory, that that would be so desirable that anybody here that is confessedly not a believer would be drawn in to God through this time as we meditate on these words. So I've given you a lot there that you can be praying about as we read these words, meditate on these words together. But I want, to be, I want to encourage you, continual prayers up to God as we look at this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture can be broken up into two parts. Number one, you've got a general exhortation to pray. Paul exhorts in verse 2, the Colossian church, to pray. And to pray in a certain way. And the second category can be a, a specific prayer request that Paul asks the Colossian church to pray for them. That's in verses Three and four. So let's start in verse two. And let me read it to us again. Verse two. Listen to the command. The general exhortation to us. And to the local church to pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it. With thanksgiving. So let's start with this question. What is prayer? What is prayer? Let's just be really clear. We're talking about an exhortation for us to pray. But what is it? What is prayer? And I'll give you a simple definition of my own. Prayer is a going to God directly, actually going before the King of glory with our worship, with our supplication, with our petitions, with our intercession, with our confession, going directly to Him. This is what we mean by prayer. Maybe said a little bit more beautifully from the hymn writer Isaac Watts. He says it like this. Prayer is that language wherein a creature holds correspondence with his creator and wherein the soul of a saint gets near to God, is entertained with great delight and as it were dwells with his heavenly father. That's what I mean. 
Hannah, First uh, Samuel chapter one verse fifteen. Hannah defined her prayers. This is her definition of her prayer life, and she says it like this: "I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord." Hannah's praying. Hannah, what are you doing? I've been pouring out my soul before God. It's Hannah's definition of prayer. John Bunyan says it like this: uh, the uh, great Puritan of the 1600s, he says it like this. He says, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God hath promised or according to the word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. Now, I don't expect you to remember all that. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in that, but you hear his same language of pouring out your soul unto God. Uh, there was an evangelist named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist in the, in the 1800s who went to Scotland to preach. And this guy was asked to preach uh, to a group of children at a school. To children at a school. And he goes to preach to them. He's thinking, what should I preach to these kids, to these children? He thinks, I'll, I'll preach something on prayer, something simple to these kids on prayer. So he opens up his sermon to these children with a rhetorical question. He says, What is prayer? And to his utter amazement, 500 hands go up. And of course, he's surprised by that. And so he, he calls on one of the kids. He says, Okay, you know, to this kid here, what is prayer? And the kid says this He says, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. <laughs> to which he was amazed. And this is the Westminster Catechism's definition of prayer. You hear some similar things in that. And the main thing I want to draw your attention to is an offering up of our desires to God. I pour out my soul to God. Direct communication with God. This is prayer. Is prayer Important. Yes, I hope you see that prayer is more important than we tend to think of it and than the importance we tend to give it. Even in this letter in Colossians, we see it all over this letter that we're studying right now. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, listen, I thank God for you guys. He means I'm praying to God in thankfulness about you guys, your Colossian church. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says it again. This is what I pray for you. And he tells them what he prays for them. We see it in our verses today. In, in verse 2, he commands them to continue in prayer. In verse 3 and 4 of chapter 4, he asks for prayer. In chapter 4, I believe it's verse 12, he actually speaks about the prayers of Epaphras who labored in prayer. This is very, very important. Prayer is important. It's all over this letter. And not only that, but it's all over the Bible. Prayer to God is all over the Bible. The first description that we get of the people of God after the fall of man is this description at the very end of Genesis chapter 4. At this time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So after the fall of man, what's the first thing that he calls those who are the people of God? Those in Genesis chapter 4 who began to call on the name of the Lord. Before they're called Christians, they're called those who call on the name 
of God. And that launches us out throughout the Bible of men who over and over again, this man who called out to God, this man who called out to God. We see Abraham in Genesis as a man that was devoted to prayer. We see Jacob wrestling with, with God. We see Moses standing in the gap on behalf of the people of Israel. And over and over again, in the book of Judges, when you get to the book of Judges, listen, this is chapter 3, verse 9. Listen, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. You read just a little bit later and listen to this phrase. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. And you should go read in Judges how often that's repeated because that's, that's the picture that's supposed to be put before you in, in, in the book of Judges. That they cried out to God and God delivered and they fell away and they cried out to God and God delivered. This, this Bible, this whole Bible is about people who call out to God. Prayers all over this book. King David not only prays, but he writes all these psalms and puts his, puts his prayers into, into writing in these psalms. Jesus prays. It says vehement cries that He takes up to God. We see Him praying all night at one time. We see Him commanding His disciples to pray. We see His disciples looking at Him and saying, they see Jesus pray and say, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? It's a big deal. Read the book of Acts. Try to find a chapter in the book of Acts where the people of God are not found praying. I dare you to find it. All through the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, we get these commands to pray like we have today in Colossians chapter 4. So what's the conclusion? This is very, very important. And just as breathing is important, and yet we tend to take it for granted, same thing here. Prayer is so important. Put more importance on it than you ever have before. I want to encourage us to do that. So why should we pray? So as you're going down your study guide there, why should we pray? And I just want to wrap off several reasons of why we should pray. Because the most, the clearest thing that we know, okay, from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, the clearest thing that we know for sure is that God wants His church to pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We know that is extremely clear from this verse. So why? Why should we pray? And I'm just going to wrap off several. This is not exhaustive, but I want you to think about this with me. Why pray? Because of our great weakness and our neediness. Our great weakness and our, our neediness before God. John 15 verse 5. It says, apart from Him, we can do nothing. Do you see our need? Our need is so deep. Our weaknesses are so deep. That apart from Him, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. You can't, you can't lead your family. You can't raise those children apart from Him. You need to pray, cry out to God. You can't understand God's Word, you must pray. You can't reach the lost, you're too weak, you must pray. You can't build up the body of Christ, you're too weak, you must pray. Because of our weakness, we must pray. This is important. Why pray? Because of His great strength. His infinite resourcefulness, okay? His great strength, His great power. Psalm 18 Verse 3 says, I will call upon the Lord, for He is worthy. I will call upon the Lord, for He is worthy. He's the omniscient one, which means He knows all things. So pray to Him for guidance. He is the omnipotent one, means He has all power. So pray to Him for help. 
He's the merciful one. So go to Him with your confession because of who God is. You must go to Him in prayer. Why pray? Because prayerlessness is sin. Prayerlessness is sin. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23 it says this. Far be it from me to sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Ceasing to pray? Sin against God according to 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 23. Now why? Why is prayerlessness an offense to God? Because it reeks of pride. Prayerlessness says, I don't need Him. I've got it all by myself. I don't need God. Prayerlessness reeks of pride. God set up His universe to exalt the greatness of the Creator and the neediness of the creatures. And one main aspect to make this happen is the invention of prayer. God created Prayer to expose the greatness of the one who has infinite resources and the neediness of the creatures of God. And so to neglect prayer, to neglect prayer is to is to live for your own glory and not his. It's to neglect the reason he put together the universe. Why pray? God delights in prayer. He delights in prayer. Proverbs 15 verse 8. It says, the prayers of the upright are His delight. Don't you love that? That verse changed my life. It changed my Here I am, a young believer. I'm trying to be diligent, exercise diligence in prayer. And I come across this verse that says, The prayer of the upright is His delight. And I think, my God likes this when I come to Him. He loves it. He enjoys it when I come to Him in prayer. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, listen to this. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Did you hear that? While they are yet speaking, I will hear. It's like God, how does He respond to the prayers of His children? It's like He's on the edge of His seat. Just I'm just waiting for you to pray something to me. And I want to move upon it. He delights in the prayers of His saints. Why pray? Because prayer is so closely connected with the reason you exist. You exist for His glory. And prayer, your prayer life, is intimately connected with the reason that you exist. Isaiah 43 verse 7. It says, my people whom I created. Why? For my glory. So think about this. Add up all the things that you do for God. Out of all the good things that you do. And if it's not wrapped in a life of dependent prayer. You are living for the glory of yourself. Rather than the reason that you exist. This is opposed to the reason that you exist. Psalm 50 verse 15 says. Call upon me. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. Do you hear that connection? Call upon me and you'll glorify me. You glorify me in that. It's connected with the reason that you exist. Why pray? Because God's nearness, God's nearness is connected to your prayer life. God's nearness is connected to your prayer life. How important is God's nearness to you? The nearness of God. How important is that to you? Listen to Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near 
To all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. How important is the nearness of God to you? It is intimately connected to you calling upon Him in truth. And on the other hand, God opposes the proud who do not pray. Prayerless men and women do not experience the nearness of God. Why pray? Because this dark and corrupt world needs your intercession, saints of God. If you're here and you're in Christ, this dark and corrupt world needs your intercession. The world around us is deteriorating. Evil men and imposters will go worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. Satanic influence is everywhere in this world. And listen to me. You don't change men's hearts. You don't tear down Satan's kingdom. You don't, you don't stem the tide of wickedness. You don't do that through your eloquence and your strategies. It's those who pray to the living God. Jesus says these only come out by prayer and fasting. These only come out by prayer and fasting. And lastly, let me say this on why pray. Because Jesus has kicked this door wide open for you if you were in Christ Jesus. What a horrible thing. What a horrific reality to neglect it when Jesus has kicked the door wide open. You say, what, I, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. This goes for everybody in the room. You had no right to pray to God. You say, I've been praying to Him since I... You had no right to pray to God. You have never had a right to stand before the God of glory. He looked at you as an enemy because of your sin. You had no right to pray to God. Isaiah 59 2 says, Your sin has separated you from your God so that He will not hear. In Proverbs 15, I believe it's verse 8, it says, that The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. He hates it. You had no right to pray to God. But then what happened? Christ Jesus came. In John 14, 6, He said, I'm the way and the truth. And the life and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made a way to come to the Father. 1 Peter 3.18 says He suffered one time for sinners. He suffered for sinners. The just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. We can come to God in prayer only because Jesus died for us and takes our sin away. He kicked the door wide open. What a horrific thing. Why pray? What a horrific thing. To neglect that door. Kick wide open for you if you're in Christ Jesus. And so we should pray. And the most and the plainest thing about this verse of scripture we're in in Colossians is that we should pray. The local church is being called here to pray. Now I want you to hear. I want you to hear in Paul's exhortation. A call to you as an individual in Christ. If you're in Christ here today, I want you to hear this as a call to an individual to pray to God. So every individual Christian here, continue steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4.2. I want to encourage you to examine your prayer life. Are you familiar with the secret place? Matthew 6.6, Jesus said, you when you pray, just assumes you would. You when you pray. Go into your room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Are you familiar with the secret place? Christians in the room. 
There's satanic resistance. I think most of us know this. There's satanic resistance to our prayer lives. There are plans and schemes of Satan set in place to keep you away from the secret place. Satan hates prayer because he knows according to God's word that it moves the mighty hand of God. So he hates it. He does not want you to pray. He's okay with you working, but not praying. Listen to this quote from Samuel Chadwick, who was like a a mentor to Leonard Ravenhill. He says this, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from prayer. He fears nothing from your prayerless studies, your prayerless work, and your prayerless religion. He laughs at our tool. He mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. So I want you to hear this as an exhortation to individuals to go to God. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Also, I want you to hear this exhortation to the church. To us as a church. Grace Community Church. To pray. So he's talking to the Colossian church. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So Grace Community Church. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't just receive that as an individual. But us. What about us as we pray to the living God? You know, maybe it would be helpful to lay before us uh, some descriptions of a praying church. So here's some descriptions of a praying church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says this about that church of Jerusalem. There were about 120 people at this time. And it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. So what were they doing? They're devoting themselves to prayer. What about chapter 2, verse 42? Several people get saved. Many, many people get saved. They're in this church. And so what does the church do in chapter 2, verse 42? They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And listen, the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. We're not just talking about a, a devotion to your personal prayer life. But devoted to the prayers of the church. That when the church comes together. To lift up its voice with one accord to God. That you are devoted to that. It's an example of a church. Devoted to prayer. What about Acts chapter 12. Listen to Acts chapter 12. Verse 1. About that time. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. I love that phrase. He laid violent hands on some who belonged to to the church. You got these people that belong to the church. And so what does the church do? Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. He was one of them. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Imagine that church coming together, lifting up its voice with one accord. Listen to verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. When he realized this, this is Peter has been miraculously released from prison now after going to prison. The church is praying for him. He's out of prison now. And when he realized that, he went to the house of Mary. How did he know to go to the house of Mary? That's where his brothers and sisters prayed. It says he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They were praying. And so what we see here is an example of a church that prays. One of the most, one of the most well-known uh, kingdom-advancing, gospel-spreading, uh, most well-known churches like that in history is the Moravian Church. Many of you have heard of the Moravian Church, led out by Zinzendorf. Uh, this is 
I want us to think about the Moravian church and the impact they made. And what's their secret? What's the secret of this church? Listen to this. In August 13, on August 13, 1737, a prayer meeting began. A prayer meeting began. At about midnight, the Holy Spirit fell on this group of people. And the prayer meeting lasted for a hundred years. If that sounds too incredible to you, you do your own research. You cannot find a mighty move of God in His church throughout history that does not have its roots in a people beginning to be moved in desperate prayer to the living God. You can't find that. So what about Grace Community Church? What we do? As you hear this corporately, that we pray to God. We go to God in prayer. We're a people who pray. We obey Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Now, Colossians 4, 2 also tells us how to pray. It says, number one, continue steadfastly in it. Number two, be watchful in it. And it says, with thanksgiving. So three descriptions of how to pray. So let's start with the first one. Continue steadfastly. This means be devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. The word is one, one Greek word. It means be constant. Be, be consistent. Be persistent in prayer. Persevere in prayer. That's the idea of this word. It's the same word used in Acts 1.14. that says these people in one accord were devoted to prayer. Same word. Devoted to it. Now this is a call to Habitual praying. This is a call to make a habit of it. Grace Me Church, make a habit of prayer. Now, why would we, or why would the Colossian church, or why would we need an exhortation to make it a habit? Persevere, don't stop. Why would we need an exhortation like that? And I think most of you, like me, know this all too well because the world and the flesh and the devil, they want to hinder us and they work at hindering us at every step in our prayer lives. Think about it. The world hinders us with its distractions. What a shame it will be in the last day to realize I spent more time when you add it up on Facebook and entertainment than I did before the throne of grace. Distractions abound. But not only that, but the flesh. The flesh hinders us in prayer through laziness. Prayer takes diligence. In Colossians 4.12, we read about a man who labored in prayer. It takes diligence, and yet our flesh hinders us in its laziness. Satan hinders us with lies to make God look so small that you don't have the faith to pray. God looks so small that you don't go to Him in prayer because the faith, the trust in Him just isn't there. And so therefore, what must we do? We must fight. We know that the world, the flesh, and the devil stands against us. Therefore, we must fight to pray. Set, a set aside time to go to the secret place and let nothing take you away from it. Let nothing take you away from corporate prayer. And because of these distractions and these, this deceiving and all these things, we're told, continue steadfastly in prayer. The second description of how to pray says, being watchful in it. Being watchful in it. This word watchful here means be alert. Be alert. It's like a watchman on the wall. It's literally to don't be asleep. Be awake. Be awake in prayer. Fight against Physical sleepiness in prayer and, and even more so spiritual sleepiness in prayer. Fight against that. 
That's the idea here. So I want you to think about it like this. Continue steadfastly brings us to this place of habitual going to going to the throne of grace in the secret place and corporally with the body of Christ. So it gets us in the in the prayer closet and it gets us in the prayer meeting consistently. That's continue steadfastly. But be watchful in it tells us what to do when we get there. That we have prayers that are marked by spiritual vigor. Prayers that are marked by vitality and life and zeal and fire. Warren Wearsby said it like this. He said, if there's no fire on the altar, the incense will not rise to God. If there's no fire on the altar, the incense will not rise to God. So what is your view of good praying? Is it like the world? This kind of, you know, the world can agree with prayer at times. It's time of just relaxation. Or is it this picture of you bombarding the throne of grace, the king of glory, with your petitions and your confessions and your worship and your kingdom advancing prayers? How do you view good praying? I want us to learn as a church to dislike, maybe even despise laid back, what I often call laid back prayer meetings. A casual approach to God is an enemy to prayer. Casual approach to God is an enemy to prayer. I'm going to close this point, this point here, by reading just a few examples from a guy named David Brainerd's journal entries. If you read this book called The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, I read it several years back. And, you know, I read about this man's prayer life and the intensity and the heat that's there and the watchfulness, the awareness, the awakeness in prayer. I read about it and I thought, man, have I ever prayed before? Have I ever prayed before? So I want to encourage you just with a few a few places from his journal entries and his prayer life. Listen to this from David Brainerd. This is Monday, April 19, 1742, missionary to the American Indians. He says this. I set apart this day for fasting and prayer to God for His grace. Especially to prepare me for the work of the ministry. To give me divine aid and direction in my preparations for that great work. And in His own time to send me into His harvest. In the afternoon, God was with me of a truth. Oh, it was a blessed company indeed. God enabled me to so agonize in prayer that I was quite wet with perspiration, though in the shade and in the cool wind. My soul was drawn out very much for the world, for multitudes of souls. Let me give you another one from this. April 25th, 1742. This morning, I spent about two hours in secret duties. It was, I was enabled more than ordinarily to agonize for immortal souls. Though it was early in the morning and the sun scarcely shined at all, yet my body was quite wet with sweat. I felt much pressed now, as frequently of late, to plead for the meekness and calmness of the Lamb of God in my soul. I've got so, I could just read this whole book to you. Let me give you one more. Let me just give you one more. October 25th. In the evening, I enjoyed the divine presence in secret prayer. I read that and I thought, people say, hey, Ron, how are you doing? How's your day been? And have I ever said, man, I got to enjoy the divine presence in secret prayer. 
That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. It was a sweet and comfortable season to me. My soul longed for God, for the living God, enjoyed a sweet solemnity of spirit and longing desire after the recovery of the divine image in my soul. Then shall I be satisfied when, sh when I shall awake in God's likeness and never before. I could go on and on, but my point is this. When I think about this, this exhortation, be watchful. Once you get to the prayer, you get to the prayer call, you get to the prayer meeting. Think about this watchfulness and prayer and let the example of that man encourage your soul to go to God in prayer, to go to him with prayers of zeal, prayers of passion, prayers of awareness to God. The last one here, how to pray, it says with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, thanksgiving to who? To God, of course, thanksgiving. To God, prayer is not just petitions or requests or intercessions or confessions, but it's it's thanksgiving to God. Prayer is a time of worship to God to give him praises, not just time to ask him to give you a love in your heart for him, but a time for you to express that love to him and tell him why you love him. It's a time of worship. In prayer, that's the idea. So here's my encouragement to you. As you go into your prayer closet and you seek the living God in the secret place, take the Psalms with you. Take the Psalms. Let me give you an example. Take Psalm 18 with you into your prayer closet on your knees. A Bible open before you and begin to say things like this to God. I love you, O Lord, my strength. And then pray to him those things. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then pray those things to God. Continue to pray to him. Take it into your prayer closet. Listen, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. And pray those things to God. Think about Psalm Psalm 103, taking Psalm 103 into your prayer closet. Listen to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? And you pray that to God. Who heals all your diseases? And you pray it to Him. Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? And you, you read these things on your knees before Him and you pray to God. This is... Prayer with thanksgiving is prayer with worship. And you could go on and on and on throughout these psalms. I'll mention maybe one other practical thing with that. Not only the psalms, but, but as, as the phrase goes in Colossians 3.16, take psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Take them with you into your prayer closet. Take them with you. Take a hymn book in there. Take those songs. Take, take Man of Sorrows in there. Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And you can sing it to Him. Or you can quote those words to Him. And begin to worship Him over those words. Or you can take other songs. What about, you alone can rescue. What about taking this? Who, O oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us. Let us out of death. 
To you alone belongs the highest praise. What about taking that into the secret place or even into corporate prayer? Pray to God. Continue steadfastly in it. Be watchful in it. And with thanksgiving to God. Now let's go to that second part. Verse 3 and 4 is a specific prayer request. So he's encouraged. He's pushed them to pray. Now he's going to ask them for prayer. Look at verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which. I'm in prison. That I may make it clear. Which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is asking the church. To pray for them. I want to encourage you to be in the habit. Of asking for prayer. This, this humble habit. Just like Paul. He did it in Ephesians 6.19. He did it in Philippians 1.19. This was a habit of Paul. A humble habit of asking people. To pray for you. Because you need God's help. And how about the loving habit of asking other people how, from sincerity in your heart, how can I pray for you? I want to go to the throne of grace for you. Get in the habit of those things. When's the last time that you did something like that towards your brothers or sisters in Christ? According to this verse, what do suffering, let me pose this question. What do suffering Christians pray for? What do suffering Christians pray for you got Paul's the writer. He's in prison suffering in prison as he writes this. The Colossian church he's writing to are suffering an abundance of persecution. They're suffering persecution. So so in the midst of all of this, should they be asking God for comforts and for earthly deliverance? God, get us out of this, this persecution. Get it out. Get us out of this prison. cell. shouldn't they be asking for things? Just like that. I'm not saying you should never ask for things like that. But what do we see him at? What kind of prayers do we see Paul focusing in on right here? And what we see are mission focused, wartime, kingdom advancing prayers. And that's the pattern throughout the New Testament. Paul, you're in prison right now. You're suffering in prison. What do you want us to pray for you? I want you to pray that a door would be open for the word. That I might preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that I might preach it in a way that brings clarity. That manifests the word of God. This is what he's praying for. Now we see this everywhere. I want to read another one to you like that. In Ephesians chapter 6. Listen. This is a pattern in the New Testament. That the prayers of the church. The prayers of the saints. Have a mission focused edge to them. Okay. Listen to Ephesians 6. Paul what do you want the Ephesian church to pray for you? Maybe you could give them something else, Paul. Since you already got the cautious praying, this gets the Ephesians church to pray something else. But what does he say here in verse 19? 619. And also for me, he's saying, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Do you see the mission edge of the prayers of the saints? And again, this is a pattern in the New Testament. When Jesus gives us that specific thing to pray in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, he says, listen to me. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Therefore, pray this from the mouth of Jesus. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Some mission focused prayer or in Acts chapter 4. 
Verse 29. These disciples of Jesus Christ have just been beaten down, thrown in prison for their faith. They get released. They go to their other, their other friends, their companions. And what do they begin to pray? They say, God, help us to preach your word with boldness. And God answered that prayer. In Acts 4, 29. Even in the Lord's model prayer. The Lord's prayer, His model prayer that He gave. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, God. Be glorified, O God. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's this idea of kingdom advancing prayer. It's all over the New Testament. I want to encourage us, Grace Community Church, to lean our prayers in with this mission type focus, lest our prayer lives malfunction. And let me close that point by giving you a quote from John Piper in his book called Let the Nations Be Glad. Great book. There's a whole section in it devoted to prayer and the mission. That chapter's worth the whole book. But this is a quote from that book. He says this. Life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is. But it's always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. The phrase here in verse 3 is this direct phrase? It says that God may open us. What do you want us to pray, Paul? That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now think about what that means. Think about what he's asking for. God, open, give us an opportunity, Lord. Give us an opportunity, God, to preach the word. Give us an opportunity to make the gospel known. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, I'm going to remain in Ephesus because a great and effectual door has opened for ministry here and there are many adversaries. So he says, adversaries are there everywhere. But listen, a door is open for the word. It's that idea of an opportunity to spread the gospel of Christ. It says here, the mystery of Christ, which is explained throughout Colossians as as. Who Christ is. The hidden revelation of who Jesus is. And what he has done in his gospel. That I might preach the gospel. The gospel of Christ. Is the prayer here. So what a sweet request that is to God. God open us a door. Open us a door for your word. That we might. Declare. Proclaim. The mystery of Christ. The gospel of Jesus. One thing that came to my mind as I read that. Is that God is the door opener. Praise God for that. You know that, right? That God does this all the time. He opens the door as His saints lean in and our heart is conformed to His and we want to see the gospel move forward. He begins to open doors for the Word and for souls to be saved. He begins to do that. Think about Acts 16 in the church at Philippi. How did it get there? Paul gets a vision and his, his companions get a vision to go to Philippi. They go to Philippi. They show up and there's these, these Jews that are there meeting for prayer. These ladies that are meeting for prayer. He goes there and he shares the gospel with them. And it says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things spoken by Paul. And God saved her soul. 
And then here's this annoying lady that's walking behind them. She is de she is demon-possessed lady. And here's the door. It doesn't look like a door, but it's a door open for the Word. And God saves that lady. And then they get put in prison for that. And they're in prison. And what happens in prison? How in the world are you going to win a jailer to Christ? God causes an earthquake to open all the cell doors. Paul and them don't go anywhere. And as that jailer gets ready to kill himself, he says, hey, don't do that. And the jailer says, he hits his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? You don't get much more of an open door than that. And next thing you know, you got a church planted in Philippi. God did that. What, what about God is a door opener? What about... Uh, our brother Wes in North Korea, our missionary in North Korea. What about that? How do you get into North Korea? Could one of you try to go next week? How do you get there? And God, if you come to me after, I can show you a place you can go to online. Doesn't have his name on there, but 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 goes through the beginnings of him uh, being led and the doors being opened in 2007 of him to get into that country. It's beautiful. God opens doors. In that way, I want us to trust him. I want us to pray for him. I'll pray, pray for that, that God would do that. I want us, I want us to lean against God as the door opener and ask him to do this in our church and our personal lives. We got to trust him for that. Next phrase in our verses here, it says, on account of which I'm in prison, on account of which I am in prison. Now, why, why would Paul insert that phrase here? It's, it's a simple phrase to understand, right? Paul is in prison while he's writing this letter to the Colossian church. It's easy to understand. But why? Why does he insert it right here? And I believe he wants them to see that his, he, that, that his desire is for the advancement of the gospel, even though that's the very thing that got him locked in prison. That even though he got him locked in prison, that he's sitting here desiring and praying for the advancement of the gospel. And that that would land on them. That in every season of life, are you facing persecution? Whatever it might be. Every season of your life, that you might desire the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ask God in accordance with those desires. I think he wants to encourage them in that. Last phrase here says... That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, what's, what's he asking for here? He's saying, as I take up the word, as I take up the gospel, and I begin, and, and God opens the door, and I begin to speak that word, speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, speak the word of God into those open doors that God gives. As I do that, pray that I'd be able to make it clear. Make it visible. Make it known. Make it manifest. Revealed as I ought to speak. Pray for me in that. That's the idea of what he's asking for. Do you ever pray these things? Do you, Grace Community Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever pray, God, open a door for your word and God help me to speak with boldness when I get there. Help me, Lord. I was encouraged by this that just to remember that gospel ministry is not mainly about you being eloquent, or being overly educated. It's not God taking the greatest of men and using them. This is about God taking simple men and women. Opening doors for them and being with their mouth. As they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Four prayers. I want to mention to you four prayers. 
that have consistently come into my life and been an encouragement to me over and over and over again that have the same attitude as this prayer. Okay, as that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I want to mention four prayers that over the years have stuck with me. I want to commend them to you, okay? I want to commend them to you. The first one, number one, is Proverbs 10.21. It says this, The lips of the righteous will feed many. And you imagine taking that to God in prayer. God, your word says the lips of the righteous will feed many. God, help me. Give me the lips of the righteous, God, that feed many. Help me. Give me the, the lips of the righteous that feed the gospel to the lost and souls are saved. That feed encouragement. That feed the word of God to believers and they're built up in the church. Help me, O oh God. I commend that prayer to you. Number two, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. It says this about Samuel. And God was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. I pray that, oh God, be with me. Be with me, God. And, and when I speak these words of yours, whether it's publicly or to a, a particular person, but when I open my mouth to encourage, when I open my mouth to share your word or your gospel, whatever it is, when I do that, God, don't let it fall to the ground. Let it enter into the ear, into the heart to move that person to see you as glorious. A side note on that one. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1 in 1 Samuel, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it says the, Lord, the word of the Lord spread throughout all Israel. Rare in those days? Spread throughout all Israel. And what was the connection? God was with them and let none of His words fall to the ground. Pray for it. Third prayer, 2 Timothy 4, 17. Paul says the Lord... When everybody else forsook him, he says, the Lord stood with me that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. So God stood with me in such a way that it affected my speaking, it affected their hearing. And we pray, God, do that. I commend that prayer to you. God, stand with me as I seek to advance your gospel. And the last one, the last prayer I'll mention to you is Matthew. It's an amazing verse. Matthew 10. Verse 20. Listen to this. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Did you hear that? It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God, could you do that for me in such a way that when I open my mouth to share your word, that it's as if, it's as if I'm not even speaking. It's as if the Spirit of God is speaking through me. What a prayer. And it sounds a lot like that I might make it clear. God, open for me a door that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, let's move quickly into some applications here, okay? Um, a personal application. I'm not going to say much to you here. <clears throat> I left you a bunch of blanks there uh, on your study guide. Uh, and the reason I did that is because I want you to go, I, sincerely, I want you to go back later today or, or sometime soon. And I want you to write, spend some time thinking, God, what are practical, personal applications from this passage of Scripture today that we just meditated on? What do I do with this? Many examples. You can say, I want to, I I this time every day, set apart to the secret place. Something like that. Or, or I want to begin to take God's word into prayer. I, I want to take the Psalms into prayer. Learn to worship God in prayer. Or I want to take the hymn book into prayer. W whatever you do. I want to take the members list of our church and begin to walk through an intercession for the members of our local church. But, but either way, I encourage you to do 
your own personal application. That's why I have those blanks there. So on your own, maybe a Bible in front of you, maybe on your knees. Ask the Lord how you should respond personally. I want to very quickly mention a corporate application, though, a corporate application. So first thing in this corporate application is this. It's right there in your study guide, which is be committed to corporate prayer. I want to encourage you to be committed to corporate prayer. In Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves, not to just their personal prayers, but they devoted themselves to the prayers. Talking about the prayers of the church. They devoted themselves to it. You know, oftentimes we've called, um, you know, 1 Timothy, we've called that the, the church order letter. Because 1 Timothy, it was written, it says, to, so that you might know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. That's chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, I believe. And so it's like the church order letter. And so what's the first, what's the first matter of business? What's the first, uh, first thing that needs to happen in the church order here in 1 Timothy in that letter? And you read in chapter 2 and verse 1. It says this, first of all, then I urge his supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You see what he's saying? First order of business, he says in the church order letter is that the church would pray. I want to encourage you to be committed, devoted to corporate prayer. Now, two, there's two ways that I think this, um, this commitment can be fleshed out. And they're straight out of what we just looked at in, in Colossians 4 two. Okay. So one way it can be fleshed out is continue steadfastly. What's that speaking to? It means, it means it's this idea of be steadfast in corporate prayers. Be there. When the church prays, be there. We've got cor- corporate prayer on, on, you know, on Sundays when we gather together the first day of the week. At least, at least three or four times throughout this meeting, we stop and we go to God in prayer together. Be devoted when the church meets to pray. And we're there for that. In your, in your smaller gatherings, your prayer meetings, Bible studies, small groups, whatever you want to call them. In those groups that meet throughout the week. Being devoted and when the church comes together to prayer. Pray, I'm there. I want to pray. Continue steadfastly and don't let anything pull you away from it. That's being devoted to corporate prayer. But then also number two is when you get there, what do you do? Be watchful in it. What did that mean? That meant be alert in it. Be awake in it. It means be engaged in it. Be engaged in prayer. What does it mean? It means you're not... Get, too often we think of prayer as just... Okay, we've got to get by the prayers. And then, and then once we get done with prayers, we get on to what we're supposed to be here to do. And we think of prayer that way. And we zone out and we're just listening to people pray. Rather than leaning in and being engaged. And in your smaller gatherings, you lifting up your voice with a group to the living God. I encourage you, be eager, be engaged in those those prayer meetings. Second thing, very quickly, I want to mention about uh, corporate prayer, a corporate ap- application uh, to prayer and to this verse, these verses of Scripture is what I'm calling the rope holders ministry. Or really, uh, a sister of ours in Christ called it that, a rope holders ministry. You say, what is that? What is a rope holders ministry? Okay, let me explain this quickly. In our passage of Scripture today, we see a call for the local church to pray for the missionaries. Okay, you see that in our passage? That Paul's out as missionary out, and he says, he says, listen, church, pray for us. I pray for the missionaries. That's at least part of what you can see there. And so here's something that our sister in Christ, Carrie, has helped get started. She started something to, to, that would bring everyone's attention uh, to our, in a more, a more, um, 
uh, intimate way bring our attention to our missionaries at Grace Community Church. And I love this because I believe it's going to help us to love our missionaries better, to care for our missionaries in a better way, uh, to understand the purpose of it. The, the name that, that I just mentioned, the rope holders, ministry of rope holders. Have you ever heard that quote that says, the missionary, the famous missionary says, I'll go down into the well if you'll hold the rope. And so that kind of gives you some insight into the purpose of some of the things that Carrie's kind of put together for us as a church. Uh, the purpose is it's meant to help us as a church to do a better job holding the rope or to put a Bible passage on that to help us to, Third John, send them out in a manner worthy of God. It's meant to help us send them out in a manner worthy of God. And here's just some of the specifics. Each missionary of, of Grace Community Church has been uh, has a particular rope holder that's been assigned to them. It's a member of Grace Community Church has been assigned to them as their rope holder. Who's, their job is to regularly, regularly communicate with that missionary and then regularly communicate that back to the church. Back to the church about that minister, that missionary. How are they doing? How can we pray for them? Those sort of things. Each one of our prayer meeting Bible studies that we have that are usually midweek um, at Grace Community Church will through through rope, this rope holders uh, ministry here will have a more personal insight into each missionary. So it's as if each smaller group will have their own missionary that they especially care for and have their attention drawn to every month. Uh, uh, there will be uh, updates sent out about all of our missionaries to all the church and, and etc. You could go on and on, but you're getting an idea of what I'm talking about. Okay. And so I want to encourage you to pray for that. I want to encourage that when you get that email, when you're in your Bible study, you're praying for that missionary, that you think at least for a time about Colossians chapter 4, about asking God to do what for them? At least this, to open a door for the word that they might preach it with boldness and clarity. To pray for these missionaries. We need to be those who hold the rope well. And so to close this time, I want to spend some time uh, praying for the missionaries. I want to encourage you to be watchful in this time as we pray for our missionaries at Grace Community Church. If you don't know who they are, uh, there's a handout that some ladies put together. This, if, you, if you have, it's this handout that has Moses and his wife Susan and their children Peter and Paul. They're in India. It has the Tisbury family there that's in Bolivia. It has our brother Wes there uh, that's in North Korea. Has the Barnes, Barneses there, the Gordons, Chavezes, all heading to Peru. So what I want us to do now, these these missionaries, I want us to just close our time by spending a little bit of time in prayer, specifically for them. Okay, so please be watchful in it. Be watchful in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this exhortation and your word to pray. And God, right now, we want to come. You told us to come boldly before the throne of grace. To pull down mercy and grace to help us in time of need. And so, God, we want to come now to the throne of grace. And we only come boldly because you have told us to. Because you, Lord Jesus, extinguished the wrath of God for us. Because you have made a way that we could come and commune with you, God. You've made a way for that. And so because of that, Lord, we come boldly. We come with petitions, Lord. And God, we want to come specifically for our brothers and sisters that are missionaries for your namesake. God, I want to lift up Moses to you and Susan and his children. 
Lord, I pray for that brother and sister, Lord. That you would, you would use them for your glory in India. That you would protect them from all the works of the evil one. God, that you would encourage their soul that you are a God that can be trusted. You are a God that can be leaned against, Lord. That you're a God that should be obeyed. Encourage his soul in that, God. And I pray that he would day after day experience your presence, God. And that that would fuel him to do your work in that place. God, please open a door for the word. That Moses and his family might declare the mysteries of Christ. Open a door for it, God. And give him the ability, God. Give him the power to speak in a way that brings you glory. That he might make it clear. Your gospel clear as he ought to speak. God, help him to train up. To equip, to build up and train up those pastors in that place. God, I pray for a sincere and real movement of your spirit in that place, God, that brings you glory and it brings you glory in India. Help him, God. Be his help from heaven, Lord. God, I want to lift up the Tisberries to you. This family that we love. God, I pray that you would be with them. Be with them, God. Let them know your presence, God. You said as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us, God. I pray that you would give them a heart to draw near to you, God consistently draw near to you. God, let them not grow weary in that. Let them not grow discouraged, God, because of all the tactics of the enemy, but let them draw near to you. And God, stand on your word that you would draw near to them. God, let them experience your presence. Be with them, God, and let none of their words fall to the ground. God, I pray that when they preach your word, that you would help them with the language to do that, God. And help them to preach your word with clarity there. Help them to preach your word with boldness, God. And with a fire in their bones, Lord, to make your gospel known. God, win souls in that place. Raise up a church in that place. Bring glory to your name in that place. Please, Lord God, help them. God, as they do this work in the ministry, I pray, I pray God, that their children, their sweet children will come right alongside them. That their children, God, would begin to love you and seek you and serve you with all their hearts. That you would draw them to yourself. Please help them, Lord. God, I lift up Wes to you, our brother Wes. God, I praise you for giving him boldness to be in such a, such a hard, such an unpredictable place. God, help him, please, to preach your word there. God, help him to, to be a, a, a watchman on the wall in that place, God. To give the warning where the warning needs to be given. To cry out to you in prayer, Lord, and see you do a work in that place. God, we know that his opportunities to speak to those North Koreans are few and far between, God. But when he does get the chance, God, I pray every time he gets a chance that you help him to speak in such a way that it's not him speaking, but the spirit that your Holy Spirit through him. God, do a work in North Korea, Lord. God, save souls there, God. Bring people out of bondage there, Lord. God, bring them out from under the oppression of the enemy, God, that keeps them from hearing your glorious truth. God, in the coming days, as, as Wes aims to, to lead there for a time, God, I pray that you would help him to be bold, to trust in you, God, that whether he gets taken into custody or whether he does not, God, that either way, he would lean against you and look to you, God, with a heart full of faith. God, teach him to trust in you in uncertainty. God, I pray for Joe and Laurel Barnes, Lord. 
That you would fill them with your spirit, God, to do your work. That you'd fill them, Lord, with a hunger and thirst for you, Lord, that never goes away. God, the, the, the tactics of the enemy to cool their affections, God, don't let it happen, Lord. But God, I pray that their affections would be heightened. That they would come to your word and see who you are, Lord Jesus, and love you more deeply day after day after day. And God, let that affect the ministry they do there in Peru. God, use them for your glory in that place. Please, God. God, I pray for Rollins and, and Stephanie Gordon, Lord. That their love for you would increase more and more, God. That they would know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings, that they might know you, God. Lord, I pray they would know you like in deeper ways than they've ever known you before. God, every distraction that comes their way, I, try, I pray, God, you give them strength to put it, put it aside. Give them the strength, God, to put away every weight and the sin which ensnares them and run with endurance the race that's set before them. Give them the strength to do it, Lord. God, use them for the ministry there in Peru. Help, them to learn, help, help Rollins to learn the language there, God, in, in a quick manner, God, that he might make your gospel clear as he ought to speak. God, I pray for John and Rachel Chavez, Lord. God, that you would help them to see that you are the glorious one, the almighty one that reaches out a hand of mercy and love to them, God. Lord, I know that they know your love, but I pray that they would know your love in deeper ways. God, give them your You told us to seek your presence continually. God, I pray that you would fill them with desire to be in your presence at all times. And you promised, God, that as they go out to make disciples, that you would be with them even to the ends of the age. Let them, let them know that, God, in a, very, in, a, in a tangible way. Let them know that you are with them, God, as they go out to Peru. And God, use them in that place. Use that whole Peru team, God, to win souls to you, to make disciples in that place. Lord, please raise up disciples. Prepare, prepare people's hearts, even now, God, to hear your truth. God, let a, let a movement of your spirit, an outpouring of your spirit come wherever they land in Peru. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.